Good morning, everybody. Welcome to First Baptist Church. Welcome to this beautiful, sunny, Sunday San Diego weather. I'm so excited about it. Amen. Summer in the winter almost. Would you please stand with us and let's praise the Lord together. Yes.
his name today. Would you bow your heads as we worship him together right now? Father, we come to you this morning so grateful and thankful for the holy name of Jesus Christ, your son, who gave himself on the, on the cross of Calvary so that we might have everlasting life by putting our faith and our trust in him. Lord, we ask you to take care of whatever emergency is going on right now. Yeah, okay. We okay? We call 911 somebody? Yeah. You okay? You okay? Okay. All right. He says, okay. No, he says, okay, Scott. People do anything to get attention. I'll tell you what. <laughs> Max said his his leg gave out, and so he just he just came down. But uh, continue to pray, Father. Continue to be with Mac and take care of his every need, physically, spiritually, emotionally. Lord, we thank you for being a great God. We thank you for loving us and providing all that you provide for us. We ask you to be glorified in this service. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, and be seated. Bo, help him out there, whatever he needs, okay? And the rest of us, well, I, this is my favorite day of the year, absolute favorite day of the year. Now, now I understand Debbie wasn't going to sing today because she's not been feeling really well, but she didn't change her clock, came an hour early. <laughs> so God said, yeah, you're going to sing today. I like this time change because I, I read on Facebook, and you can trust everything on Facebook. I, I read on Facebook that <laughs> preachers have an extra hour to preach on Amen. Amen. So, so I love it. All right. So anywho, let me, let me get back to what I was doing here. Uh, if you are a first-time guest here at First Baptist Church, if you're watching by way of Facebook and uh, YouTube, thank you so much for, for catching our service that way, but we hope you'll come and be here in person. Uh, if you are a first-time guest in the building here, would you take one of these connection cards, fill it out, and turn it in? You can give it to one of us after the end of the service, or you can put it back in the offering box that's to the left of the double doors. Just slip this in there, and we'll have your contact information, and we will uh, send you a Starbucks card uh, in appreciation for you filling this out. So, uh, thank you so much for being here. I uh, also want to mention that uh, this Saturday is Veterans Day, uh, so we want to honor our veterans, of course, on that day. Make sure you thank a veteran. I, anytime I see somebody with a hat like you've got there, James, or like uh, uh, Chuck wears, or, uh, or Ed's got his shirt on, uh, a Vietnam veteran, I always let them know I appreciate them so very, very much. So, uh, you who have served and are serving, thank you so much for what you do. Today, we're going to be preaching on Sermon on Mount Part 9. I have some news. 
I found it. I'm, I'm studied ahead of time, so I am probably going to end up with Sermon on the Mount Part 12 will be the last one. So that's what I think. I'm, I, I'm, don't hold me to it, but that's what I'm thinking at this point in time. Today is part nine, to judge or not to judge. It might be an enlightening verse or two for some of you. Uh, and then teens will meet on the patio today. So if you're a teen and haven't yet gone out there, go ahead and meet on the patio. Next Sunday, Sermon on the Mount, part 11. How does it go from nine to 11? Uh, prayer and the golden rule. Prayer and the golden rule. So uh, that'll be that, that message then. And then ladies, Christmas tea is full up. They're taking uh, extras and making a list in case some people don't show. So uh, if you need, if you haven't gotten your ticket and you would like to be put on the waiting list, go ahead and do so. Right now, uh, Sarah, are you ready with all this activity that's going on here? We have the paramedics here. We're thankful for them. They're going to make sure everything is okay. This is Sarah Urban. She is with Young Life Ministries. Would you give her a good welcome as she presents her mission to you here? There you go. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm so excited to be here. Um, I am the area director for Coronado Young Life, and I want to start um, by just telling you a quick story about my friend Sienna. So I met my friend Sienna two weeks after she graduated the eighth grade. We went on a trip for like an eighth grade graduation with a group of girls, and on that trip, we asked questions like, who do you want to be in high school, and what do you want to be known for? Um, and Sienna, you know, amidst those conversations, we talked about Jesus, and she said, you know, I want to learn more about God, but I'm just not in interested. I'm just not interested right now. Um, I said, okay. Um, and then COVID hit. And during COVID, we went a lot of walks outside and we had more big conversations. And she continued to um, ask about how do I deal with gossip and how do I be a good friend? And we got to process those things together. But still, she said, I'm pretty skeptical of Jesus. I, I don't know that, um, that he's my thing. And I said, okay, let's keep hanging out. Um, we then went on a spring break trip. We did a road trip um, all throughout California, and um, I got to share a little bit more of my story with them. They got to ask more questions, and on the way home in the car, um, we did kind of a check-in, and I said, hey, where are you guys at? And she said, you know, I don't know if I can trust him. What does everyone say he does? I don't know if he really does that stuff. Um, and it wasn't until we went to summer camp the following summer that she said, Sarah, a week before summer camp, my stepdad and my mom told me they're getting a divorce. Um, and I can't keep my regular dad around. Now I can't keep my stepdad around. Um, no dad wants to stick around for me. And I got to tell her the truth that um, Jesus is our heavenly father and he will always stick around for you. Um, and she said, you know, I'm at the end of my rope. What do I have to lose? I've never really given this a shot. I'm in. Um, and she accepted Jesus there. And then a couple weeks later, she bought her first Bible. Um, and we might have a picture of it, yep, with another girl named Piper. She bought her first Bible um, with me, and we have been um, reading it and talking about it ever since. And, and what I want you to hear about Young Life, first and foremost, um, similarly to a relationship with Jesus in general, is that it is personal, and it is a long process. It is often a long process. So um, at Young Life, one of our core verses is, we loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. And that is what Young Life leaders in Coronado do. And I'm going to tell you a little bit more about the basics of what that actually is in a second. But first, um, we serve middle and high schoolers, and that is um, a generation that is Gen Z. And here's some kind of things that you guys could know about Gen Z. First of all, they're the biggest generation right now. They make up 30% of our population is Gen Z. Um, and when I've asked my Gen Z friends, what do you hear that people are saying about you? They really tell me, these are from them, words, they say, I think people think that we are lazy, fragile, judged, anxious, 
problematic, always bored, weak, over-emotional, entitled, incapable. Those are words from the mouths of our youth of what they think that the rest of the world thinks about them. Um, and as the church and as Young Life leaders, we get to tell them that Young Life, or we get to bring the good news. We're good news bringers, and we want to change the message that kids are hearing from adults, and we want to tell them the true message of what Jesus says about them. So all of that to say, what is Coronado Young Life? Um, what does it look like here? Um, our mission is to introduce adolescents to Jesus Christ and help them grow in their faith, and we do that by building authentic friendships with them and sending caring adults into their lives to show up for them, to listen to them, to encourage them, and to tell them about a God who loves them, and then really to walk with them whatever their response. Because again, young life is personal, a relationship with God is personal, um, and it takes time. Like Sienna's story, she didn't come to know Jesus for years until after we first talked about it. Um, so we don't wait for kids to come to us to ask those big questions. We're an outreach organization, so our ethos is to go to them. We meet them on their turf, where they're at. We reach the disinterested, um, the disenfranchised, the kids who just don't really have time for all that Jesus stuff. That's who we want to know and who we want to meet. And we're already doing that. We have 15 leaders um, in Coronado right now who serve middle schoolers and high schoolers. And we have six um, adult or five active adult committee, and those committees support our leaders, they support me, um, and they help run things behind the scenes so that we can do what we do. We um, have regular gatherings for middle schoolers and high schoolers, so um, we also, we have big group kind of outreach gatherings, we also have small group, and then we're also active in the high school and middle school campuses. We did coat check at homecoming for the high school. We're also on campus every Monday during lunch to play games and hang out. We're trying to reach them in all different spaces. Um, and I'm so thankful for um, this congregation for, and for Pastor Bays for inviting me up to share a little bit more about that with you guys because I would love for you to know how can you help? How can you get involved? Um, first, I want to thank you. This congregation and so many of you within it have already been so gracious and so supportive um, in lifting us up and, and allowing us to continue doing what we're doing. But there's three main ways I want to invite you into continue supporting. The first would be to give. Um, as of right now, we are trying to find 20 households to give $100 per month um, by the end of the year. Those, uh, that helps us do things like have staff, um, bring pizza to the high school and snacks, uh, get supplies for our gatherings that we do, games, and care for our leaders, take our leaders out to coffee, make sure that they are spiritually poured into and cared for and trained. Um, so we are looking for 20 households to give it $100 per month. And if that is you, we would be so thankful and delighted to partner with you in that. Um, the second thing is host. We meet in houses. Our high schoolers meet in houses. We want a cozy feel. We want them a, a family-like feel. So if you have the space and you want to open up your home to host high school students in your house, or another way to host would be to host leaders as we plan meetings and provide dinner for our leaders, we have a huge need for hosts right now. And I would love to tell you more about um, how you can get into that schedule and, and sign up for that. And the last one really is to pray. Um, above all things, we believe that um, Jesus is going to radically come into the lives of the young people uh, in our culture and to tell them the truth because they are really seeking the truth. Um, so pray for the young people in our community. Pray for the young life leaders that are at homecoming um, dances and at the football games and sitting in the bleachers of volleyball games, walking with kids around the neighborhood. Pray for our leaders as they're meeting with our students. Um, and that would be a, a ma massive blessing for us just if you guys would intercede um, for the young people and for our ministry. So um, that's what I have for you guys today. Thank you so much 
much for listening and for um, seeking to support. I'm going to be out the back after service, and I have flyers that I'm going to hope to hand to each of you with a little bit more about what we do and then those specific ways you can get involved. And also, if you have a high school or middle schooler, I have flyers with the dates and the times that we meet. So um, I would love to just say a quick prayer for Gen Z and for our young people, and then I'll um, hand the mic back. All right. Dear Jesus so much for um, who you are, for the truth that you are a good, good father, and for the way that you want to show up in the lives of young people. I pray for um, the church as a whole that we would continue to pursue those students, that we would um, tell them that they are loved and seen and known, um, and that they would um, respond and get to enter into relationship with you. Um, thank you so much for, for this congregation. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank, thank you, you, Sarah. Thank you so much. All right, so be sure to stop by and see Sarah right after the service and uh, get involved. We, we love the youth here in Coronado, so let's show them about Jesus. So let's stand together as we continue to worship the Lord. I think Mac is doing great. Praise the Lord. God bless you, Mac.
I want to thank the praise team for doing such a great job for leading us in prayer uh, and, and songs and worship. I also want to thank all of you who, when we have a situation, are there to help and to be an encouragement and to pray uh, or to provide whatever we need to provide. So uh, thank you all for being that kind. Thank you, Lord, for answering prayers. Amen. Amen. Father, we love you and thank you for your blessings upon us already today. Be with us in the preaching of your word, we pray in Jesus' name. And all the people said, amen. amen. God bless you. Thank you. you. may be seated. And I'm going to ask the, you boys and girls to come to the front, if you would, before you go to your class, all the boys and girls of First Baptist Church. And moms and dads, everybody else, do you have your Bible here? Let me see your Bibles or your electronic device or whatever it is that you use. All right. And no, no by the way, if you're on... If you're on electronic device, no eBaying during church. Just want to make sure you understand that. Matthew chapter 5, Matthew, or chapter 7, Matthew chapter 7. Boys and girls, do you know what the word judge means? Anybody know what the word judge means? It can, mean a, it can be a noun, and a judge is a guy who sits in a courtroom and kind of presides over the courtroom and makes sure that everything goes the way it's supposed to go. But it can also be a verb, which means to judge someone. And it, that means to think a certain way about someone or to believe a certain way about someone or maybe to guess some things about someone. And I ask you the question, has anyone ever judged you incorrectly? Have, have you ever been blamed for doing something you didn't do? Let me see your hands. If you got blamed for doing something you didn't do, because it was your brother that did it, right? Yeah. Or your sister that did it. Or your dad that did it. Who knows? But if you've been judged wrongly, you know that that doesn't feel good, and that kind of hurts. And so people may think you did something bad. They may believe you did something bad. They may even be guessing that you did something bad, but you didn't. So Jesus says in, John, in Matthew chapter 7, he says not to judge people harshly, um, not to assume the worst with them. If they are guilty of something, we must not be overly judgmental, critical, or negative. But we need to know what the Bible teaches about things so we know that we make the right decisions in life. But here's the thing to take home with you, okay? Everybody look up here just a minute. Don't be picky of people, okay? That's what judging is about. When we are picky and we accuse people of things that they didn't necessarily do, that's not a good thing to do, and we don't want them to do that for us. So let's bow our heads and pray. Our Father, we thank you for each young man and each young lady here this morning. We pray your blessings upon the teachers as they teach them the amazing word of God. Father, help us not to judge people in, in a correct way, but help us to judge according to your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Kills. Go ahead and go to class, and everyone else turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, the Sermon on the Mount, as we enter in part 10 today. Every drunk's favorite verse, every drunk's favorite verse is Jesus turned the water into wine. And that's like in the same book that cleanliness is next to godliness is in. Uh, actually, th that is not a verse in any Bible translation of which I'm familiar. In the same spirit, many people who are not living a biblical Christian worldview love the verse, judge not lest you be judged. Uh, but that verse is in the Bible. It's right in front of you in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. But does it mean what some people think it means? 
Evidently, some people think it means we're not to point out anyone's sins. We're not to point out anyone's shortcomings, including our own. We're just not to do that. And, and we must not weigh them against clear scriptural teaching. In other words, anything goes, and we must not make moral judgments. This week, I saw some photographs that I've been avoiding looking at from the Hamas invasion of Israel, and I saw things there uh, that just uh, are, are incredibly, in my opinion, demoniac, not something a normal human being would do to any other no- human being. They can behead and burn babies, which I can't even begin to imagine. They can sexually brutalize women and girls. They can kidnap and kill non-combatants, including the very old and the very young and civilians. Uh, they can, and, and people in the United States of America will demonstrate on their behalf and in favor of them, and I don't understand that. Uh, and, and some people would say it's not our point to judge them. Is that really what Jesus meant? Are we to look at what took place October the 7th or 9-11-2001 for that matter? Are we to look at those things and say uh, we're not to judge them? We're not to say what they did was wrong? We're not to say what they did was bad? There are two texts for today, actually. Uh, one of them is in Matthew chapter 7. The other is in Luke chapter 6. We'll get to it in a little bit. But it's very clear here. It seems like it's very clear. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. But what does that mean? The word that's translated into the English judge is the Greek word krino, K-R-I-N-O, and it means, one meaning rather, is to separate or distinguish or discriminate between good and evil, uh, to select, uh, to choose out the good. In the New Testament, it means to judge or to form some kind of an opinion after separating and considering the particulars of a case. Another Greek scholar says about this word krino, that it can imply to analyze or evaluate as well as to condemn or to avenge. And then he says, the former senses are clearly commanded of believers, but the latter are reserved for God. So it is our job to analyze, evaluate in the light of what the Word of God teaches certain activities, our own first and foremost, and others can be then weighed by that same measure But it is not our part, it is not my part to judge you in the sense of condemning you or or to be retributive in any way or to retaliate in any way. So the judge not, lest you be judged, is referring to the latter here. Uh, Even when we point out error or problems, uh, we should be constructive and and not looking for retaliation. So, So that's what the word krino means. So when is it wrong to judge others? When we have a judgmental attitude, and it refers to the passing of harsh, adverse verdicts on the conduct of our fellow believers or unbelievers, and it does not forbid, it does not forbid, though, the use of critical thinking. He's not saying don't think. He's not saying don't apply scriptural principles to the actions and activities of people, whoever they might be, whether it's Hamas, whether it's us, as born-again Christians, members of First Baptist Church, no matter who it is, uh, we're, to, we're to do our critical thinking. We're to analyze what people do on the basis of what the Word of God teaches, but we're to have a spirit then of tolerance and helpfulness, which Jesus elsewhere commands is a help to everyone. Now, look, you're not going to be able to have... Matthew chapter 18, Jesus gave us a plan for going to people uh, who were causing trouble in the church, who had sins in the church... 
And there has to be a level of discernment there before we know how to go to someone and, and why to go to someone to confront them about certain activities. In Matthew 18, 15, moreover, if your brother shall trespass against you, you've got to be able to differentiate that and figure that out and discriminate if it was a trespass or not. Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he will hear you, you've gained your brother. Jesus' words. Uh, and, and so then he says in, in verse 6 of the same passage, uh, a little bit of the passage we're in in Matthew chapter 7. Give not which is holy unto dogs, neither cast your pearls before swine. So there has to be a process of discrimination. Are we casting pearls before those who are utterly contemptive of all that we're saying? And if so, then we shouldn't do that. Now, don't judge does not mean don't think. I'll say that again. Uh, it's not a requirement to be blind. It's not a requirement to say, well, uh, whatever happened over there, we, we just we can't judge. You judge not lest you be judged. We, you know, we don't know what we would do in that situation. I hope to God, literally, we would not do what they have done in that situation. And, and we said from this pulpit the, the very next Sunday, we said Israel needs to prosecute a just war and Israel needs to eliminate the enemies who would, you cannot coexist with someone in a house if they want to kill you. You cannot, you won't coexist very long. You won't exist very long. Israel cannot coexist with people who want to drive them from the river to the sea. Uh, they've got to take care of Hamas. They've got to take care of business. It does not mean they should employ the same strategies and battle strategies that Hamas has chosen to use. This is a, not a requirement to be blind to all that's going on around us and not judging, but rather a plea to be generous, to be careful. The verb is used not only of generally passing a verdict, but specifically of passing an adverse verdict. Uh, and, and it does, it, 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 just don't make a habit of being judgy to people. I don't even know if that's a word. My, my spell checker keeps, every time I put judgy in my nerds, it, it kicks it out. So it, what, a, what does Webster know? Uh, but... To, he, he goes on to say here, uh, in the, well, let's read it. It says, for with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged, and with what measure you measure, it shall be measured unto you again. So to be sharply critical of other people is to invite others to be sharply critical of us, to be judgy of people. Did, Ethel, did you see what he's wearing today? Can you believe he would wear red and orange together? Can you, what, 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 is he raised by wolves? What's going on? Don't be judgy. Don't be hypercritical. Don't always find faults. What matters is the judgment of God. And, and, and with what measure we use, and I'm getting a little ahead of my notes here, but that's the same measure that will be used to measure judgment upon us. So what do we judge? If, if we're not to judge things in a harsh way, uh, what do we judge? That's when discernment is required already uh, talked about church discipline in Matthew 18. So I won't repeat that, but discernment there is necessary. We've got to figure out if someone is guilty of a sin, what, what sin is it they're guilty of? On the, what basis do we determine that there's guilt of a sin? And, and how do we proceed from that point on? Uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 5, um, in verse 1, the Apostle Paul gives a very pointed example he said, I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you. Here's Paul, not at the, the church there in Corinth at, at this time, and he's heard about what's going on in Corinth, so somebody had to make a 
discriminating determination and distinguish what the, what the truth was and what was going on and, and report about it. So he said, I, I can't believe what's going on, something that even pagans don't, don't do. I'm told that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother. You're so proud of yourselves, but you should be mourning in sorrow and shame, and you should remove this man from your fellowship. What? You should remove this man from your fellowship. Well, that's kind of judgy. No, that's using good judgment. That's using good discernment. Even though, Paul says, I am not writing, I am not with you in person, I am with you in spirit, and as though I were there, I have already passed judgment on this man. He has already passed, he's writing this through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. He is doing what God's called him to do here. And he says, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you must call a meeting of the church. I will be present with you in spirit, and so will the power of the Lord Jesus. And then you must throw this man out and hand him over to Satan so that his sinful nature will be destroyed and he himself will be saved on that day that the Lord returns. This is some powerful language. And I'm, I'm sure some of you are kind of cringing even to hear me say it. But he said, this is such a, a, a heinous sin this is something that the pagans don't even do, and yet here's a person in your congregation, in your church, and he's guilty of this particular sin, and you all are smug and proud and happy about everything that's going on when you should be ashamed and when you should take action here and when you should kick him out or cut fellowship with him so that he can reap the consequences of his actions and then be in a position where he will then hopefully repent. And by the way, this is not a command to be harsh in judgment. It's a command to keep God's church clean and pure. We're, we're, not, we're not perfect here. Nobody here is perfect. Heard it again yesterday at the men's breakfast. Someone said, if, I think it was Bo, said, if, I'm not sure if it was Bo or not, but uh, he said, if you find a perfect church, don't join it, because if you do, you'll mess it up. And that's exactly right. And I, I'm going to tell you right now, uh, this is not a perfect church. I, I love my little saying is the church is a hospital for hurting people. It's not a museum for art and showpieces that are perfect. So we're, we're imperfect. God is not finished with us yet. Amen? He's still working on us. He's still changing us. He's still building us into the kind of disciple he wants us to be. But uh, this, this commandment, to exercise church discipline uh, was discernment in order to ultimately help the erring brother. If they had not done anything, he might have continued in that sin and reaped even worse consequences. But beside that, the testimony of the church was at stake. So I, I, I used to say, uh, anybody know what the country bumpkin is? Oh, I'm going to talk to you after church. I used to say, a testimony of the church is important. And, and, and you know what? If, if someone drove by and your pastor was walking out of the country bumpkin, I don't even know if it's still there, it was walking out of the country bumpkin and kind of staggering out, you, you, would, you would say, well, judge not, lest you be judged. No, you wouldn't. You'd say, there's a problem here. Something's not right. And, and well, you should. In discerning 
what the scriptures teach. Now, the mission was accomplished with this man. I'm, I'm happy to say this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, the next letter that Paul wrote that we know about, he may have written another in between, I don't know, but the next one we know about, he said, that is why I wrote to you as I did, so that when I do come, I won't be grieved by the very ones who ought to give me the greatest joy. Surely you all know that my joy comes from your being joyful. I wrote the letter in great anguish and with troubled heart. See, this, he wasn't being vindictive. He wasn't being judgy, if that is a word. He, he was saying, I wrote it. I, I, it was anguish that I wrote it. I, it was with a troubled heart, with many tears. I wept over writing this letter. I didn't want to grieve you. He was so emotionally concerned about this. I, I, I have much love that I have for you. I'm not overstating it when I say that the man who caused all the trouble hurt all of you more than he hurt me. Most of you opposed him, and that punishment was enough. Now, however, it is time to forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, he may be overcome by discouragement. So I urge you now to affirm your love for him. So it, it availed much. Doing God's word, God's way, implementing uh, this discernment for the purpose, uh, purpose of purifying and, and, and confronting sin uh, worked out for the good, not only of that man, but also of the church. So there's another example of having discernment, and that is in 1 John 4, 1, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. So spirit, there are spirits evil and, and good, right? There are angels and there are demons, and, and whatever uh, we're connected to is going to have the biggest influence to us. So if we have uh, evil spirits that are dominating our lives, involved with things that are contrary to the Word of God, uh, we're going to have bad fruit. Bad trees will result, result in bad fruit. But if we have good trees, we're going to have good fruit. So uh, believe not every spirit, but try them, whether they're of God, many false prophets. And the Bible tells us there was false prophets who claimed to be speaking God's words, and they were lying, and they were telling untruths. And, and the fact of the matter is, there are churches today, there are pastors today, there are Christians today, there are uh, denominations today, there are cults today who are telling lies, and they're not telling the word of God they're, they're speaking another gospel, which is not a gospel at all. So discernment for church discipline, discernment for taking action uh, of an erring brother, discernment in discerning of spirits, we are to judge Crino in that way. How we will be judged is in verse 2. For you'll be treated as you treat others. The standard or measure in King James Version you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. So others will use the same standard or measure in condemning us if we are condemning them. So if, it, they, if we use a teaspoon, they'll use a teaspoon. If we use a shovel, they'll use a shovel. If we use uh, a, 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 what do you call it, those tractors with the dumpster things on Huh? Yeah, whatever that was, yeah. Uh, they'll do the same. If we use a dumpster, they'll use a dumpster. So, so we're going to reap what we sow, and so it's, it's important for us not to be condemning and, and to, to be judgy in that sense. By inference, if we have sought to be careful in our discerning and not spiteful in our judgment, so others will treat us in that same way. So in verse 3, he talks about specks and logs. Why worry about a speck? Why worry about a speck? The guy on the right's got a speck. 
I looked it up because I thought, you know, what, what are we talking about here? It says moat in the King James Version. That's not a thing around a castle with alligators in it, okay? The, uh, a moat is a, something dry and light, such as straw, stubble, shaft, or a little splinter of wood or something. If, if that's in your friend's eye and you have a log in your eye, a beam, a rafter, a floor joist in your own, how can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of the speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own? And then Jesus says, hypocrite, you hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, then you'll see well enough to deal with a speck in your friend's eye. Can you believe how irritating and painful it can be when you get something in your eye? First of all, my eyes are set about four inches back into my head. So it's like, it's like this dig. I got to go in there and try to dig them out. And uh, I, one time I was playing racquetball, I got hit with a racquetball, right? And I mean, hit, it bounced off the eyeball. Another time I was drilling the front doors at our church over in, uh, over in South San Diego. And aluminum doors and old spirals came out and went ding, stuck in my eye. And so I had to keep my eye open uh, all the way to the doctor so he could take it out. Um, but, but here he's talking about some, you get some little piece of dust. You get some little insignificant nothing in, in, in someone's eye, and you, you make a big deal about that. While you've got a 2 by 4 by 2 by 12 or whatever it is, you've got a floor joist in your eyeball. You've got a log. You've got a piece of timber in your eyes. So in such cases, Jesus said, you are hypocritical. If you pick on some little something in somebody else's life. So that goes right along with the theme. Don't be judgy. This guy in 1 Corinthians 5, it was not some little speck. It was a big sin. It was a big problem. It was wrong for him. It was wrong for the church. It had to be dealt with. It's a time to use discernment. But don't be picky. When we point out someone else's speck, but we ignore the log in our own, we are being hypocritical. Then Matthew Warns in verse 6, don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls and turn and attack you. So the first one here is being too judgy. Uh, the first extreme, too judgy. The second extreme is not, not discerning at all, not paying any attention. Uh, that which is holy belongs to God. Dogs are considered unclean in the word of God, as were pigs and hogs. Jameson Fawcett Brown, commentator, says, religion is brought into contempt and its professors insulted when it is forced upon those who cannot value it and will not have it. Have you ever talked to some... Now, Sarah, obviously you discerned in this young lady the idea that even though she had not... She didn't have Christ in her heart yet, she was interested, even though she was saying she wasn't, at least there was prospective reason to go ahead and work with her and give her the word of God. But there are some people who absolutely disdain Christ, who absolutely hate God and hate anything good and hate the Bible and hate you probably as a Christian because you represent to them God. And so they're the ones we're not to throw the pearls before. They're the ones that we're to be careful and consider unclean. It doesn't excuse us from presenting the gospel because we should present the gospel but when the opportunity applies. But if it's met with contempt, then verse 6 applies. So far, that's Matthew's take. Luke's take is, is very much the same. Uh, but in Luke chapter 6, verse 37, he says, Don't judge others. You won't be judged. Do not condemn others. You'll not come back against you. Uh, so it follows pretty much Matthew's account. But he goes a little bit further here 
and then this will conclude the message today. He says, forgive others and you will be forgiven. Forgive others and you will be forgiven and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. So there are, there are other ways of saying we reap what we sow. If we forgive, we'll be forgiven. If we're judgy, people are going to be judgy for us. And he uses an example here that uh, the idea of giving, and, and giving you'll receive. And this passage is a lot of times, I've preached it many times, talking about giving of our tithes and offerings as we give of our tithes and give of our offerings or give to needy people or whatever it is, the principle of giving, that it'll be given back to us. And it has the idea of a bushel basket. Anybody know what the old bushel basket, I'm not talking about a plastic one, okay? The uh, old bushel basket, you used to put apples and things in. And, and this has the idea of pouring grain in this bushel basket and then shaking it. Remember, it's some kind of, I don't know what kind of material it was, but it's some kind of, uh, it was flexible. And so you would shake it and, and press it down and pour more and, and, and it would be running over. So if we give in the right spirit, give the right way, give the right kind of forgiveness, of offerings, of gifts, of help to people, of mercy, of kindness, all of those things, we'll receive much, much more from God, from the Lord, and also from people. So generosity is what's presented here. Shaken down, pressed down, running over, uh, give those things in abundance, and we'll receive in abundance. But if we give in a stingy manner, then we'll get back uh, in a very lean way. So the implication here is the divine reward in addition to people uh, blessing us as well. And then he closes with this. He spoke a parable, can the blind lead the blind? Shall they not both fall down to the ditch? The disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be his master. It's, it's weird to doubt. I was, uh, this week, this was in my message. I've been studying this message for about three or four weeks, parts of it, putting it together. And I went through this week uh, one of my cabinets, and I found a letter from a young man who was in prison uh, from the other church. And, um, and he told me his, his parents were both blind. His mom and his dad were both blind, came to our church. And he was just a little boy, and he had a sister, I think it was, also. And they would come. And we got to talk. We've talked so many times through the years. How difficult would it be to have a little baby if you were blind? How difficult would that be? How, when they were crying, how would you know what they needed? How would you know they were hurt? How would you know if they were hurt really bad and something needed to be taken care of? That how, how would you even know? And to have the husband and the wife both unsighted, both of them blind, how difficult would that be? And this young man told a very sad story of, of winding up in prison and how that he wanted us to go and visit his sister so she wouldn't wind up in, in prison as well. But... but I've thought about this, these blind parents trying to rear these children. We see them out getting on buses, going places uh, with their family, um, both of them unsighted, and it's amazing to me. But Jesus said, can the blind lead the blind? Won't they both fall into the ditch? The disciple's not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be his master. Disciples in themselves are blind until they're enlightened by their teacher, and therefore they shouldn't judge others. The parable takes the form of a double rhetorical question. The first half is expecting the answer, no. 
Um, and the second half is yes. So Luke mentions the speck and the beam, and it's practically identical, identical to Matthew's reporting as well. So what have we learned today from Matthew chapter 7 and Luke chapter 6? While we are not to be harshly judgmental and picky and critical of others, we are to discern what is righteous and what is sinful. Uh, Fitz, are you in here right now? He's, in, he's teaching. He's, uh, you need to be praying for Fitz and others in the congregation who uh, not only found out some of the reading material in the libraries uh, are, are incredibly immoral, uh, but also in the high schools, in, in the school system. And so there, there's a committee of people, and, and you'll hear more about it in the future, who are trying to work on removing objectionable things. And, and it'll be presented, of course, as you always, you want to ban books. We just don't want impressionable young children, kindergartners, first graders, second graders. We, we don't want young children being exposed to things that once they learn, they can't unlearn. We, we don't want that for them. That's not the school system. It's certainly not the, the part of a person who has no biblical worldview at all to teach your children about, how, about such incredibly intimate things. So we're going to talk more about that. But uh, we're not to judge harshly and be critical, but we're to discern when things need to be done. Secondly, if we are judging, we will be judged by God and others with the same measure that we use. Thirdly, pointing out a speck in someone else's eye when there's a log in ours is hypocritical. Hypocrisy was the great sin of the Pharisees, was it not? And Jesus said, except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, you won't be able to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And the last thing is here, we're to be generous in our forgiveness of others and in our giving of all things good to God and to others. So that's the message for today. Part 10, part 11 next week, prayer and the golden rule. But right now, we're going to go into communion. Here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to bow your heads just for a moment, every head bowed. And first and foremost, if you're here this morning and you don't know for sure if you died, you'd go to heaven. Let me talk to you just a second. You're not sure if you died, you'd be in heaven today. You can know that heaven is your eternal home because Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for your sins and for mine. And if you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you can be saved for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. If you'd like to call upon him to be your savior, you can pray to him right now where you're seated. You can pray something like this. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've come so far short of what I ought to be. I know I disappoint you. I disappoint myself. Lord, I, I'm not ready to be called out of this world yet. I believe that Jesus is your son and he died on the cross and was buried and rose again on the third day. And right now, I believe if I put my faith and trust in you that you'll give me everlasting life. You've said if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that you've raised him from the dead, we can be saved. For whosoever shall call upon him, the Lord shall be saved. So I call upon you, God, by grace through faith, Forgive me of my sins. Save my soul. Be my God. So that when that time comes, when I meet you, that I'll be ready for heaven. 
trust you right now. With every head still bowed, if you just prayed that prayer in your heart, you meant it, sincere as you can be. Would you hold your hand up real high for just a moment? I won't embarrass you. I won't point you out. I just want to pray for you. God bless you. God bless you. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Are there others? God bless you. Anybody else besides these? I've got some great news for you. You prayed that prayer if you meant it with all your heart. Your sins have been forgiven. You've been made God's child, adopted into his family. Now, Father, I pray your blessings upon these who raised their hands, upon maybe some who didn't raise their hands, but they prayed that prayer. Give them the assurance of 1 John 5, 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. God, we can know we have everlasting life because we've complied with your requirement. We ask Jesus to forgive us our sins and be our Savior. Now for the rest of us, God, as we go into this communion service, the bread and the cup, God, I pray that you would help us to confess our sins to you, that we would not eat or drink unworthily, that we would honor you, that we would trust you, that we would confess our sins to you as your children, and that if we've offended someone or made things difficult between us and them, that we'll make things right at our next and earliest opportunity. God, may we examine our own hearts that we might partake of these elements in the way that would glorify you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you continue to make things right as our praise team sings? We're going to pass out elements. If you did not receive the elements, if you'll raise your hand, they'll get these to you as quickly as they can. Passover feast that Jesus would observe with his disciples was being held. On that table were the elements of the Passover, salt, the bitter herbs, the egg, the bread, the cup, all of the things that are required for the Passover feast.
Jesus then took the bread. And the Bible says that as they were eating, he took the bread and he blessed it. Father, we pray your blessings upon this bread, this unleavened piece of bread that in symbolic form represents the sinless body of your son dying on the cross, not for his own sins, but for our sins. Thank you, Lord, for that broken body, broken for us. We pray in Jesus' name. And he said, after they blessed it and broke it, he gave it to the disciples, said, take eat, this is my body. Next, the Bible says he took the cup. And he gave thanks also for that. Father, for the cup, the juice, the juice that represents that which is poured out by our Savior, representing the blood of, his, of Christ, who died on the cross, who suffered from the crown of thorns, from the beating with the whip on the back, from the nails piercing his hands and feet, from the spear piercing his side. He suffered so much for us. And he poured his blood out as the ultimate sacrifice. While salvation is not available through the shed blood of bulls and goats, it is available through the shed blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ, when we put our faith and trust in him. Thank you for the bloodshed in Jesus' name. Amen. And he took the cup and he gave thanks and he said, drink ye all of it. This is the blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Let's stand together and we'll, as much as possible, as much as you're in agreement to do so, join hands across the aisles and with those next to you and us sing a hymn. The Bible says they sang a hymn and went out into the Mount of Olives. And this shows our unity in Christ. rest of the Lord's day. Thank you for being in his house today. God bless you, Mac. Love you, man. Be sure to stop and see Sarah.
steve oh my gosh man